you like taking notes, you can always take notes. My pastor always used to say, we don't speak to be heard, we speak to be repeated. So if something is a blessing to you, you can always write it and share it with somebody else. The Bible says, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Let us pray. Father, we pray tonight that you fill me with the Holy Spirit. Give me the boldness that I need. Help me to speak with urgency, clarity, and certainty. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the Bible says here, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You know, this verse speaks to me about the providential work and hand of God in everything that we do. What I want to submit to you tonight is that anything that happens in your life, I want you to look at from this perspective that God's hand is in it. And when we look look everything in our life from that perspective, God will always help us. And so I know that each and every one of us here, we went through a lot of uh, rough time last year and this year. I can tell you they've been some of the roughest years I've ever seen in my life. And uh, I was literally listing down some of the things I was going through. And I can tell you I had to come to a point whereby I had to stop. Because the truth of the matter is we were all going through a lot of things and a lot of rough time. And then you hear a verse like 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 and verse 18 where the Bible says, And in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And then you can wonder, how can I give thanks with everything that's going on? How can I give, how can I give thanks? We hear terrible things happening. For example, we hear parents losing their kids. One of our missionary friends lost, uh, and they're very close to us, they lost their son who was in the military who committed suicide. And then you can wonder, how can we give thanks? We hear of people losing their jobs and their homes, and we hear one tragedy after another. For example, recently, I got to talk to a man who had been out of work for a long time. And he finally found a job. And he worked so hard that he wanted to impress his boss. And he ended up getting a herniated disc in his back. And he became numb. And because he was in a hospital, the company doctor could not clear him to go back to work. And so his company had to let him go. Now he's out of work again. And this, kind of, and this man will ask himself, how can I give thanks? How can I give thanks in everything? For this is the will of God. And so, but you see, the Bible does not say to be thankful. 
for the events that take place in our lives that we might deem as bad. But the Bible says, through those events, we can know that God is going to work it all out and we can be thankful. And that is what this Bible, and that is what this verse says. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I want to ask you another question. How many of you have heard of Matthew Henry? He's a famous commentary. A famous. He writes commentary. For us who study the Bible, we always use uh, Henry Matthew's commentary. He was a preacher's kid. And so every time his dad was preaching, he could write notes. And he put them together. And that is what we came to know as uh, Matthew Henry's commentary. You know, one time, a famous preacher by the name Charles Spurgeon wrote the story of Matthew Henry, and he said that one time he got robbed. And after being robbed, this is what he wrote. He said, first, let me be thankful because I had never been robbed before. I'm thankful about that. Secondly, although they took my purse, they didn't take my life. Thirdly, I am thankful because although they took all that I had, it wasn't much. Finally, I'm thankful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Now, this is an illustration of in everything, give thanks. Why? Because he wasn't necessarily thankful that he was robbed. He was Thankful that he was the one who, he was not the one who robbed. And so we can say something like that because of Romans 8.28. And so the first thing, the first truth that I want us to see about this topic, and I want to talk on this topic, the promise of divine. The promise of divine, which is God. And so the first thing that I want us to see is the certainty of it. The first, the first thing I would like you to see is, and we know, and I would like you to underline those three words, and we know. Now, you know that verse starts with what we call a ring of certainty. A ring of certainty. Because what it doesn't say is that it's possible all things work together. That's not what it says there. It says we know, so we know that it's a fact. And I want to tell you that we know is a Greek word that says order. And what it means is absolute knowledge. It's absolute fact. Because something else I want to let you know is that Greek has four moods. And the first mood that Greek has is the indicative mood, which means it's going to happen. It's a fact. The second mood that we have in Greek, we call it the subjunctive mood. It's the mood of possibility. You know, it may happen. The third mood that we have is the imperative mood, which says it's a mood of command. The fourth mood is the optative mood, which is it's a wish. 
But when we look at that verse, those three words, and we know, it does not indicate that it's an optative mood. It's not like, oh, how I wish things would work together. It is not saying, oh, it is possible that things may work. You see, it's not a subjunctive mood. It's what we call an indicative mood. It's a fact. God says it's going to work together for good. It is a fact. Isn't that very comforting? Knowing that things are going to work together for good. Because it's God who says here that it's a fact. And we don't have to say, oh, how I wish. Oh, it may happen. God gives a promise here that they're all going to work for good. It's a promise. And you know when God gives a promise, he gives a promise. So you might be going through a difficult time right now. And you might be saying, man, these things are so rough. You know, these times are so difficult. I just want you to take comfort in this, that as a child of God, it is a fact that things are going to work for good. And they're all going to work out for good because God has promised and we know it is a fact. It is a fact that things are going to work out for good. The second thing that I want us to see uh, here is the circumference of it. The circumference of it. Look with me uh, that verse again. And we know that all things, all things. Now, you see, it does not, it's just mind-boggling to me when it says that all things. Because it does not say, oh, some things are going to work out together. It says all things. And you see, that's a Greek word that means all. It is all. It does not, it does not say some things. It says all. And so when, when, it, when Paul is writing these and says all, you know what that means? It means all. All the good things in our life. All the bad things in our life. All the joys, all the sorrows. And when I, me- uh, when I think of this and I meditate on this, I think of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And I would like you to turn your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. In verse 1, where the Bible says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. And then he lays down, and when you look at that, when you go home and study from verse 2 to verse 10, what you shall see is that on one side, Solomon lists 14 negative experiences he goes through. And on the other side, he lists 14 positive experiences he goes through. And then, none of these things or without significance. Because none of these things are empty experiences we go through. But what happens is that God uses all these things and works them around. And then look at verse 11. He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God maketh from the beginning to the end. You know what he says? All these things 
the bad things, the bad, you know, the good, the experiences that we go through, God mixes them all together. Doesn't that sound like an Old Testament, Romans 8, 28? Because, you see, well, God, you know, God's sovereignty, he sees all of them, and then he mixes them all together in his time, and then he makes them all beautiful because it is all things, all things. So no matter what you're going through, just know that God is going to work it all, all, all. You know Apostle Paul who wrote this? He did not write this from Ivory Tower. He wasn't one of those we call Ivory Tower theologians. And you know, Ivory Tower theologians in those days, they were known as people who just lived in their uh, halls of academia, and all they did was eat, drink, and study. But when Paul was writing this, he wasn't writing from a hall of academia. He was writing from prison. And when we write, I mean, and Paul can, could catalog everything he was going through. I mean, you, you talk of the experiences he was going through even as a, as a brilliant man. He did not have a life of ease. Talk of the loneliness. Talk of the thirst. Talk of the sickness. Talk of the imprisonment. Talk of the robberies. Talk of the stoning. Talk of the scourging. The shipwrecks. The assassination attempt. The trials. And then he's the one who writes these things. That all these things work together for good. I would like you to turn your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. The book of Philippians chapter 1. And I would like you to look with me in verse 12. And before even Paul wrote this to the Philippians, you know what happened is that he was in a Roman prison. And while in a Roman prison, he was allowed to have visitors from the outside. He was there for two years. And he was there just waiting to appear before Caesar to give a defense of the gospel. And so while Paul is in prison, his church, his Philippian church, loses contact with him, and they are worried about him and where he is. And finally, they hear that he's in prison. And this church, because it was the most beloved church to Paul, they always supported him. You know what they do? They sent Epaphroditus to go check on Paul in prison. But they don't just send him empty-handed. They come together, you know, and gather a love offering. And they send it to Paul. So Paul is writing this as a really thank you letter to the church of prison. And so, to the church of uh, Philippines. And so, Epaphroditus goes and finds Paul in prison. And so he's telling Paul the concerns that the people in the church at Philippi have. That they're so concerned that he's been in prison. And they're worried. 
But Paul wants to alleviate their concern. But this was their concern. How can God do this to his most beloved preacher? How can God lock his favorite preacher? You know what that sounds? It's like you having a racehorse and just locking him up in a barn so that he don't compete. And that is what they felt like was happening to Paul. And this is what Paul tells Epaphroditus in, uh, in verse 12. And he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. And he continues to say, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other, uh, in all other places. So Paul is telling Epaphroditus, you see, I don't want you to get, to get worried. I don't want you guys to get concerned because the things that are happening to me here, they're not happening without a reason. They are happening so that the gospel of God can move forward. Into the palaces. And you know, the, you know the Greek word for palaces? It was Patoian, which was a representation of the Caesar's elite guards. They were known as Patoian guards. And so what Paul is saying here, you guys are so worried. But I'm not worried here. Because what's happening to me is happening rather unto the fathers of the gospel. And I want you to look with me here. So, Paul is locked up in prison. And one of the guards is chained up to him for six hours. I want you to think of being chained next to Paul for six hours. Talk of a seminary education. <laughs> intensive study. And so, this guard, he's chained for six hours. So, what do you think will happen to him? Paul, definitely Paul is going to present him with the gospel. He's going to hear Paul dictating some of the letters he was writing to the churches. He will hear Paul witnessing to the visitor that came to see him. Do you think Paul will really present the gospel to him? That's absolutely yes. Do you think he will guess it? That's absolutely yes. So what do you think else will happen? When he is unchained and somebody else comes, he goes back to the barracks. And what do you think will happen? He will go back to the barracks and witness to the bodies and tell them, hey, guess who I was chained next to the last six, you know, six hours? The Bible encyclopedia. And he will go to the barracks and witness to the bodies there. And they will get saved. And so Paul was trying to say here, but I, would, but I would ye understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the fathers of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. The means Paul was saying, hey, don't you worry about me because I've been chained here. The gospel is moving forward. It's moving to the upper echelons of the Roman government. My bonds in Christ are being manifested in those Patuian girls. And the gospel was moving and spreading like bushfire because we're all getting saved. People are being emboldened for, for Christ. So Paul is trying to say here, you know, all these things, they're working together. 
They are working together. You think I'm suffering here, but I'm not. They're working together for, for good. Christ is being manifest all over. So I want you to go back and tell those people, I am not suffering. It is all happening because God's hand is in it. And his gospel is moving forward. The circumference of it. Next, I would like us to see it. Is the cooperation of it. Look with me again. Go back to our verses. To our verse. Romans 8.28. The Bible says. And we know. That all things. Work together. Work together. Those are the two words. Work together. You see. We know that all things work together. But. When it comes to work together, there's a Greek word that means energy. And this is where we get the English word synergy. And with synergy is where we get the idea of teamwork. Whereby two or three things are joined together to achieve one purpose. Let's say we have a project. The pastor was sharing with me about renovating this church. But he did not do it alone. He had other people help him. And they all achieved this project. They all worked as, as a team. And that's the idea here. The one bad thing is not enough together. One good thing is not enough. But when they're all mixed together, they all work together. They all work together. Because these events in our life can work together in a teamwork. In our lives. And the end... God mixes them all together to work for good. What I wanted to know for an illustration is that did you know that some medicine that we have in, all, uh, in us, they have some ingredients in them, whereby if you take that ingredient in it by itself, it has a potential to really kill you. For example, there is an ingredient in most of the medicine that we have by the name arsenic. That arsenic, if you take it by itself, it has that potential to take your life. But when that arsenic is mixed together with some other ingredients, it brings up a great medicine that brings great healing. And this medicine is used in most of the cancer patients. But you see, arsenic in itself has a potential to really kill you, but it's mixed together with other things. And the end product is something that does wonderful things. And so God in life brings all these things together, and then he works them all together. And he's just mixing them, and his providential wisdom and his sovereignty, and then they all work together. All work together. That's the cooperation of it. Now, look with me the conclusion of it. Verse 28, the Bible says, And we know that all things work together, and here's the word, for good. Now, I'd like you to underline those two words, for good. Because, you know, no, no, not everything is good. You and I know that. Many things in this world are not good, but God says they all work together, and the end product will come up is good. But you see, most of us, even as Christians, 
We have that mentality to think that when this verse says all things work together for good, the good we tend to think as people is, the, you know, is, uh, is for example, financial prosperity, good health, maybe great marriage, you know, maybe all those successes. But that's not the good that Paul is saying here. I would like you to sit with me here. Verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's the good right there. What Paul is saying here, what we think is good, that's not the good that God wants us to know. God's goodness that he wants us to know is that all these things, when he mixes them all together, the end product is he wants to conform us to his own image and likeness. That's the good. And so you may say here, what does that mean? That means sanctification. And what is sanctification? You see, sanctification is whereby God takes the world in you and puts more of him in you so he makes you like him and takes the world out of you. That's the sanctification, and that's the end product of uh, the end product of of the goodness of the Lord. And so, somebody may ask you, "So, what is my purpose in life?" You see, my purpose in life is God to reveal Himself to me, and then He gives me the mandate to go and reveal Him to the heathens. So He literally tells you, you know, when He tells you pray, give, go, He has told, "I want you to go and reveal me." To the heathens out there. Why? Because I've already revealed myself to you. That's the goodness right here. And so, there's something we call the five golden chains of salvation. And this is what I want you to see here. In verse 29, it says, For whom he did for no. You know what that is? That God already saw you in eternity past. And he said, you know, when I formed thee, when I knew thee in thy mother's, and I formed thee in, my, uh, in thy mother's womb. I knew thee even before I did that because God is always previous. And then he did even, then he said, when I am forming thee and I'm creating thee, this is the end product. That I want to make you just like me. And then he continues to say in verse 29, for whom he did foreknow, then the second thing, he also did predestinate. He also did predestinate. Because God, what he says, I want to make you just like my son. And then verse 30, he continues to say, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. You know what he says? After I saw you in eternity past, after I already designed that I want to make you just like my son, then I issued you the call of salvation. Because the first thing that God does, he calls everyone to himself. Even before he uses you in his work, even before he calls you, to do anything. He says, you got to get right with me first. 
You got to get saved first. That's why he says there. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. That's the call of salvation. He issued a call of salvation to you. And he said, hey, whoever shall call upon my name, I shall save you. That's what he says, the first call. And then, whom he saved, or whom he also called. Whom he also called, he also justified. He counted you righteous after you got saved. He counted you righteous. He says there, and then whom he, also, he justified, then he also glorified. Then he glorified you after counting you righteous. The five chain of the golden chain of salvation. First, he saw you in eternity past. He knew you. He's always previous. The book of Genesis says in the beginning there was God. He was always there. He saw you in eternity past, and then he said he predestinated you. And you see, we gotta be careful because we have a lot of we have a lot of folks out there. We call it the school of Calvinism that will come and try to corrupt you and tell you, no, 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 no. God says this and this. But you know what God says here. He says he saw you in eternity past. And his predestination was like, I want to make you just like my son. And after that, he issued you with the call of salvation. And then after that, he justified you. And after that, he glorified you. Five chains of salvation. And so you may say, what about a Christian who rebels against God? You see, if you're a child of God and you obey God, you know what he says? He's a good father. The first thing he does is speak to you through his word. And then if, it, if you still don't listen, he spanks you. And if you still don't listen, he scourges you. Three ways of chastisement. What about if you still don't listen after being spanked? You know, it's very possible that God may call you home early. Because he can do whatever he so wishes and he so pleases with our lives. He's our creator. But what about those who die in the Lord? Then he makes them just like his son. Isn't that very comforting to know the good that all these things work together for good? And the good has already been mentioned that God wants to make you just like his son. The condition of it. Go back with me to verse 28. The Bible says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. And here's the condition. To them who are the called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? To make you just like his son. And so what is the condition here? All these things work together, but not to everyone. Not to everyone. To them who are the called according to his purpose. You know what that means? This verse is for Christians. And if you have never placed your life in Christ, you cannot claim this verse. Because you're not called according to his purpose. You don't know him yet. So you cannot claim this verse. And we have a lot of folks out there who say they're not even Christians. They don't even know God. They don't even go to church. And you hear them saying, well, things, these things will work together for your good. 
Well, that's wrong because if they don't know Christ as their personal Savior, they cannot claim this verse. So my question tonight is, are you a believer? Are you a believer? Can you claim this verse? That all things are going to work together for your good? And you know, if you cannot claim this verse, then today, that day of salvation, that you come forward and somebody will show you from God's word how you can be rest assured that if something happened to you tonight, you're on your way to heaven and you can claim this verse. See in the book of Genesis in verse 42, and you can read it on your own, we have Jacob who is going through a lot of things and a lot of difficulties over his children. And then he says, all these things are against me. But you see, friends, we don't have to develop that kind of attitude when things are going wrong or going south. That's not the attitude that we should have. And then when we go to Genesis 48, we find Joseph. And we know that everything that Joseph went through. Now, you talk of him being thrown in a pit. You talk of him being left, uh, being, uh, living in, uh, in prison in Egypt for many years. Talk of him being separated from his father. And then God exalts him to be the prime minister of Egypt. And it's Joseph who says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it unto good. Look at those two attitudes. And as a result of the attitude that Joseph had, he had two sons, and one son was Manasseh. You know what that means? God makes me forget all my troubles. And when you have that kind of spirit, that God is in control, and we work all things together for your good, then you're able to forget all your troubles. You know, the second son that he had was Ephraim. You know what that means? That God has caused me to be fruitful. Because when you put your faith in Christ, and you put all your troubles in his providential hand of God, and then you believe that he will work it all together for your good. You know what he does? He makes them all work together for good. And then, God makes you fruitful. God makes you fruitful. But you see, the question tonight is, are you a believer? Can you claim this verse? Because if you're not a believer, you cannot claim this verse. But God has already promised his divine providence in our lives. He's already promised. But we cannot claim it if we are not believers. Are you a believer?